Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast and I'm with my brother from another mother who you can't see right now because we're on audio but she's on Skype and she's celebrating for some weird reason. She's got the what I like to call the Sinead O'Connor polar neck coupled with the sideshow bob hair. Tanya O'Callaghan, how are we? I'm good, I'm just freezing because I'm in Ireland. <laughs> You're in Ireland and I bet you the weather is just as bad as it is over here in Bonnie, Scotland. So how you been? It's been a while. It has been a while, Scott. I am very well, thank you. The last Gold Blend was excellent. I watched it. Your, the, the Gold Blend series is fantastic. For anybody that hasn't seen it, well... Actually, Tanya's been on the podcast before, but you've been co-hosting about four or five of them. I can't remember off the top of my head what ones you did. In fact, you did the 30th episode with Jack Bruce and Newton Faulkner, didn't you? I um, didn't. You did a couple of them, and we talked briefly about Gold Blend. So for any new listeners that have not heard those podcasts, talk to us about Gold Blend, the Irish musicians. Talk us through it. Yeah, that's like a fun kind of chill sort of side project thing I started up a couple of years ago uh, the thought came from I've been gigging around so much with musicians and different bands and over the years that I just kind of got this notion that I try and start bringing them all together and put it on video and I figured I was playing with so many people I try and get certain you know lineups of people in rooms that wouldn't usually play together and originally it was just kind of like a friends jam video with a couple of different Irish artists and I got my friends who are, have this amazing production company, Kerbook Productions, to shoot it, and it just slowly started turning into something. But, you know, we just do it when we can, and the idea is that you get a group of musicians together that wouldn't necessarily usually play together and just pick whatever song, and just there's no rehearsing or any of that. It's just get in and have a bit of a jam, really, and see. Hopefully it's not a train wreck. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun with it. And, um, you know, getting great Irish artists and, you know, sort of bigger names as such on the Irish scene and playing with, like, just musicians from around different towns and stuff and kind of moulding different levels of the industry together. But, you know, it's just kind of, it's always there. It's a slow burn on the side. I don't overpressure it. And when I'm in new places, I try and make it happen. And it's fun. It's just fun. It's just about having a jam. <laughs> I really like it. I really like the vibe of it because it's very relaxed and it is exactly that. I mean, that's how I came to, to, to know about you. First of all, it's through your Gold Blend series that everybody was talking about. So I log on and I see the thing and there's it, people sitting in a living room, you know, and just jamming yeah, about. <laughs> and then people get doing a, like a 10, 15 second interview beforehand and it's always the same thing. Tanya invited me around for a cup of tea and then before you yeah. know it, you know. What is it with Ireland? Started, yeah. What is it with Ireland and tea? What's going on there? Oh, sure. It's, you know, you need tea for every occasion. It pretty much solves every situation. Have a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so that's literally what would happen. I'd be like, come round for a cup of tea or I'll come round to yours for a cup of tea and she would bring some instruments and a camera crew <laughs> and see what happens. 
Right, so Gold Blend, that's all, that's happening. You've been involved <coughs> with so many artists throughout the years, um, playing away. But let's go back before that, before the Gold Blend, before the tour and all the rest of it. You tell, take us back to the moment when you thought, right, I'm going to play the bass. Why did you choose to play the bass over guitar, singing? Take us back to that moment. Well, I actually started, when I was younger, I started to dabble in the drums a little bit. When I was about 15 or 16, I took a couple of lessons off a local guy in my town and I was really into the drums and all that but I didn't have a drum kit I was just getting lessons and I was hanging out with some bands and I thought it was all very cool you know <laughs> going to gigs and I wanted to be a drummer and I did the classic high school dropout child here and I wanted to do a music course so I found a music course and I went to it and enlisted myself as a drummer and when I arrived there was an electronic drum kit in the building there was no acoustic kit and I played it once and I was very upset because I didn't like it at all. So I decided I didn't want to be a drummer at that moment because I couldn't afford a drum kit. And I walked into one of the practice rooms in the building and I seen a local guy, Niall Masterson, playing Primus on bass. I'd never heard of Primus or seen anything like it, but I just was mesmerized. I was like, oh my God, what is that? He's playing. I want to do that. And I literally asked the teacher in there, can I play bass? And he said, yeah, and the rest is history. I got pretty obsessed pretty quickly. Right, so I've never heard that so musical on bass. I think until that point, I hadn't realised, you know, I thought it was all just root note stuff. And then I seen Primus and my mind changed. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Primus made you want to play the bass. That's really cool. Right, so you're at college. How long are you there for? Did you graduate from there? What was the college? That was like, um, I was young in there. That was my sort of interlude between school and going to music college which I did briefly you know I was in there I think for two years in total but that was like I was a complete beginner I literally picked up the bass in there I think I was 16 and a half 17 when I picked up the bass first and obviously I spent a year or two sure trying to hold the bloody thing and get my fingers to work when I look back sure it was gas I could only play with one finger on my right hand for a very long time so um I did, you know, I started to study the grade exams in there, which we have here. I don't know if they're the same. In different countries, you do your grade one to, you know, like the piano grade. So I did yeah. them on bass. And I just, I really got into it. So I, you know, stuck my head into that. And I got my grades over the space of the two and a half, three years I was in there. And then I auditioned for New Park, which is like um, a jazz college up in Dublin. I'd never played or seen a jazz chart in my life, but the teacher in Foss in this course I did seemed to think that I was well level. So he sent me for the audition just as a experience. And because it was a very, it's, it's a super kind of jazzy college, I guess you could say it's affiliated with Berkeley and I wouldn't even call myself near a jazz musician. I love jazz, but I went and I auditioned with a piece. I, I didn't know any jazz. So I did a piece that I put together that was uh, a medley of, Primus, Metallica and Jacko Pastorius <laughs> kind of smushed together and dropped E tuning or something and they actually really liked it because they thought it was super creative and I did what really was the, well what was, sorry Tanya I'm cutting you off there what was the three songs can you remember out of those three artists of interest I think it was I put like the start of Portrait for Tracy with the harmonics which I was so chuffed that I could play at that stage and then I think I went into anesthesia pulling teeth <laughs> and then I don't know what I was doing. I think, oh, I did a little part of Tommy the Cat, the bass solo. The <laughs> it must have sounded pretty crazy. But uh, they seemed to like the fact that I put them together. And then they asked me to play something original. And at the time I was playing in a heavy metal band in my hometown. 
and I played them a piece called, I think it was called Slay the Divine. <laughs> and it was like drop C tuning and I was using a plaque and I was basically just beating the crap out of the bass. And they, I don't know, they seemed to like it. And then they do like a timing rhythm re- repetition test on you and I did that. And, and then I got, I couldn't believe it. I got a letter saying I was accepted. So I ended up going to a jazz college for, uh, it was like a PMTC course. So I did a year there that was awesome because it was like world music. And I was going to go on and continue into, the, into a jazz degree, but I actually got busy touring very quickly. So I was blessed. And then, so for me, I just wanted to be out and gigging as opposed to do another couple of years in college, you know. Right, so you're touring away. When did you do your first tour? Um, well, I was always doing these little tours, you know, around Ireland with bands. Cause I was always in so many bands. I was a, a devil for joining bands. <laughs> I'd be in like five to ten bands at any given time. So uh, I did a lot of that sort of like, you know, we book a tour around Ireland and maybe go over to the UK. So I was kind of doing that from when I was 19. And then I started to get work in RTE, which is our Irish TV station here. So I would be in the backing band for that. And I ended up um, getting a gig with, Brian McFadden, who had just left that boy band Westlife. So I did a little kind of stint with him because he was doing his solo stuff. So that was probably the first sort of big name-ish thing, you know what I mean? And it was like super pop and it was kind of ironic because I'd just come from really getting my craft up in a jazz college to go and play root notes for a pop artist. (laughs) A gig's a gig, you know? So I loved it. I loved it. I always loved playing whatever came. I was never sort of like, I'm only going to play this genre or that genre. Whatever gig came in, once the people were good and the hang was good and the music was fun to play with the band, I was in my element. So I did that and then I started doing... I was in RT for a good while on and off the TV stuff. We'd be the house band for whatever artists came in. So that was my first sort of proper sort of music work I guess you could say Right and that TV show Brian McFadden any other artists that were on that TV show that's worth mentioning right now can you remember? She's like a head like a save I think it's <laughs> we did it was a lot of you know what a lot of it ended up being because it would be like Saturday, Friday and Saturday night shows where you would have contestants from the X Factor coming in so whoever was in like the top three you know finalists or something will come in to perform their piece and we'd be there and then I did a ton of the Eurovision artists people because we have this thing over in Ireland it's Euro song so they pick I think it's five people are picked and then the competition is who out of those five gets into the Eurovision so we would be the band for all of those artists a lot of times you know I did a good bit of that so we back up the finalists so we were always just the backing band, you know, the modest role of the bass player. <laughs> it's funny. so many people, I couldn't even begin to remember names. It's funny because every time I talk to you and I mention like some uh, kind of really famous artist, you're like, yeah, I know him, I'm friends with him, I'm friends with her. So um, let me ask you about meeting these people, how you came to know them. Uh, let's go with uh, Glenn Hansard. Oh, ben, well, Glenn is Irish, or we all know each other. <laughs> That's, that's that really I just know Glenn from over the years um, you know being Irish and he was a busker on the streets of Dublin for many years and he had the frames and I was pretty young when the frames were in their kind of heyday but I, I had gone to see them a lot at that stage but yeah Glenn lives just outside Dublin um, 
at a house well there's a house kind of attached to it that a lot of bands rehearse in so I guess just over the years but again we just had many a cup of tea together really and <laughs> and then he'd be friendly with a lot of people I'd be friendly with in Dublin great Irish band called Keela one of my favourite bands ever here and you know at Christmas all those type of people would get together so it's more yeah just having tea and having the crack and gigs all the Irish musicians tend to know each other you know it's a small island and there's a lot of us and we're all very friendly <laughs> <laughs> the Irish are certainly very friendly. Someone who I know for a fact is definitely not Irish, but um, Flea. So they talk yeah. Jesus, that was random. Would you believe I was away? The Chili Peppers were playing Croke Park, I think, in Dublin. And I had been away on a studio session in London for a week and they were playing and I was kind of raging because I was like, oh, I'd love to go and see them. It's been years since I've seen them live. And anyway, I got back the day after they'd played Crow Park and I was coming from a rehearsal with my bass on my back walking around Dublin. And I literally walked into them, um, which seems to happen to me a lot. I to bump into people <laughs> looking at the ground. Yeah, I bumped into him and he was with Maro Refrasco, which is the percussionist that used to do like Radiohead and a bunch of different things. And anyway, you know, bumped into each other and I was like, oh, Jesus, how are you playing? <laughs> And I had the bass on my back. So the two of us started to talk about bass and that. And long story short, I ended up being their tour guide for a couple of hours. I brought them round and showed them showed them where to get some vegan food because he was vegan and lost in Ireland looking for vegan food and he happened to bump into the Irish vegan woman. So anyway, I spent the evening hanging out with him and Maro and it was great crack because, you know, at the end of the day, these people are just musicians like the rest of us and we just kept talking about music and... You know, I'd been in L.A. so many times that we kind of started talking about gigs there and people we knew in common, and he's just a nice lad, and I just sort of stayed in touch when I can, and sure, he's class. <laughs> Flea, a nice lad. Right, you mentioned vegan. <laughs> Have you always been a vegan? What's the story? Well, I've been a vegetarian all my life. Um, as far back as I can remember, I think, according to my parents, I was about, I remember at four, I copped on to what meat was. I'm an animal fanatic. Like, I was born sort of rescuing animals. There was nothing in need. And it was just my thing. I just never wanted to eat them. And I think my brother told me what spaghetti bolognese was when I was four, and I got very upset altogether. So I didn't want to eat them. And then I think by the age of six or so, I had completely refused it. So, yeah, I've been a vegetarian all my life and an animal fanatic. And I worked in restaurants. No one thought I'd end up in music. Everyone thought I'd be a vet or marine biologist or a wildlife something um, because I worked in a rescue centre from I think 8 until 17, 18 I was out there all the time a great rescue uh, dogs, cats and animals, all sorts of animals and yeah I turned vegan in the past few years just because travelling around the world and watching the dairy industry and it's just not for me, I like to know where my food is from and I don't like it to come from a negative place for animals you know and it's just my vibe I'm plant-based <laughs> and I think you know it's all education and I like to support small organic kind of vibes so that's just my thing yeah so I'm the plant-based basis now <laughs> like it like right okay we mentioned your look earlier the whole sideshow bob look um well, I think that was you now but a few people have called me sideshow bob over the years <laughs> right okay no one of the things is it was a, a, a conscious thing to choose this look of the, the dreads because it's very very distinctive it's very very cool looking when you see you on stage 
um, it kind of stands out a mile in a really good way. Um, so was that kind of planned or does that just happen organically? What's the deal? No, I was like, because I get asked all the time about, I think there's like a huge kind of disconnect with the whole dread thing because I think most people associated with, I guess, the hippie way as such where people just grow dreads of years of not washing their hair or whatever. But my dreads, I just got one day because my friend was doing them and he'd learned how to do them in Brazil or something and they're done very much just like um, braids. They're just done with a hook. So mine are like, you wash them, dry them, dye them all you want. But I just decided one day because I was going on my first sort of travel adventure eight years ago. I was going to Canada and I was actually, I was going to Canada and then I was going down to Arizona to see the recording with Maynard Keenan and I was told by someone dreads are fears handy for maintenance. So I was like, Graham, I get dreadlocks. So I did and I had these spikes on my head for a while because my hair was an awful lot shorter. Um, and yeah, it was just a, really, it was a very last minute decision and then I just ended up keeping them and now they're, I guess, part of the signature head on me as people say. <laughs> right, okay, you mentioned your man from Tools. How did you meet him? How did you start working with him? Of course we're referring to James Maynard Keenan, right? Yeah, Maynard, I met, I was always Tool fan. Um growing up and all my friends were we were all mega tool fans in Mullingar and I went to see them in Glasgow ah oh, jeez I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was I think it was 2006 it was 2006 I went to see them in Glasgow what venue? And yeah I'm trying to remember do you know what I actually think I have to take it here somewhere I knew them somewhere I know I do Carling Academy Carling Academy yeah so a relatively small venue for two 2,500 Wow, and I can't remember, but yeah, they were doing they were doing a tour, but they seemed to be doing a couple of spots, smaller venues. And one of the lads, one of my friends here in Mullingar had spotted it, and a group of us decided to go over, um, because it was like a smaller kind of vibe and be cooler to see them. So anyway, we went, a lot of us went over and bumped, just booked into a hostel. And Long story short, I ended up talking to a guy who turned out to be a security guard and I ended up standing outside the back of the venue I was chatting to him because we had a friend in common in the industry a roadie friend or something and anyway I because of that I was standing out at the tour bus and I started talking to Danny Carey about conical drums and Indian rhythms which he obviously has a lot on the album and I think just because there was an awful lot of screaming fans there and all and I was just chatting to them about music so I ended up stepping onto the tour bus and having a great chat with them all together it was very random and I was talking about all sorts of music with him and Justin and then I met Maynard he came down he was talking about this new project he was doing that he was starting at the time Pussifer and at the end of it anyway he sort of said to me very vaguely well maybe you'll play a track on it because he told me it was going to be a revolving door of completely random musicians basically so of course I said no, no, Jesus, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> I said, of course, I was like, yeah, absolutely, here's my email. So anyway, I went off on my merry way. I think I was kind of interrailing around Europe at the time or something, wandering somewhere with my base. And then I came back to Ireland, and a couple of months later, it was a good six or eight months, I got an email from Maynard saying, will you come out and play bass on a track? And I was like, I will. <laughs> So he figured out what he was doing. So he was recording. He was bringing out a group of people to his place in Arizona to just sit down and write some music. So I flew out there in 2008. And 
we went to Arizona to Jerome for about three weeks, I think. Myself and Joshua Eustace were um, the main kind of people staying and writing, and then there were a few people coming in and out, and we literally just went with our instruments into a garage, and we wrote music for a few days. And out of all the stuff, he released two of the songs that we put the bones of together. So that was really wonderful, you know, working with someone you kind of, looked up to in the music industry he was great to work with and you know know him to this day and kept in touch with all that gang and it was really just a wonderful creative thing to be asked to do and you know real honored to have done it so it was great jumping back and forth here you always describe yourself as a pocket player and now yeah. i always find it difficult to describe what a pocket player is at the same time you know what it means i know what it means how would you describe that well, like, I actually, I know, I don't need to sort of, it's it's more people tell me that and I've gotten adjusted to tell them if they ask me what kind of kind of bass playing. The reason why I'd say that is because I would never say that I'm like a very flashy player. I'm not like a shredder at all on the bass. I can do my, my licks here and there if I want them, but I'm just really into groove, Um, you know, when it comes to my bass playing and locking in with a drummer, which is, well, really what it should be about, you know. And of course, if you're doing a solo thing or the bass is being featured, it's a different story. You can go off on one, but I just enjoy nothing more than locking in with a drummer and just grooving and being in the pocket. And for me, that's what bass playing is about, you know. So that's what most people say to me, you know, when you when they say you have a great pocket when you're younger. <laughs> you're not quite sure what they're talking about. It is quite funny. But yeah, it's just locking in and groove and different rhythms. I'm really into that kind of vibe, you know. Right, tell us about Orianthe. How did you start kind of uh, jamming with her? Uh, I met Orianthe in Hawaii last New Year's. Um, I was out there with my good friend Glenn Sobel and there was a gang of us out there and they were having like a New Year's party in Maui with all these celebs and a fundraiser. And I met Ori at that and we just got on, you know. She's a lovely girl. And then I was going back to L.A. after that for a couple of days, stopover before I went on tour again. And um, I just asked her, I said, hey, do you want to come in and do a gold blend? And she said, OK. So I grant, I collect you at 12. <laughs> and I rang the camera guy. And Glenn came in as well, Glenn Sobel, Savage Drummer. And the three of us just, like, I mean, literally, I think we learned the song 10 minutes before the cameras came on, you know, that kind of way. And we just did one of her original songs. And we just had a jam and it was really good fun. And, you know, Ori's a great girl, lovely, lovely girl. So it was fun to play with her and just playing all them different with all these people on Gold Blend that are from such extreme different categories of the music industry. That's kind of the whole point, you know? Yeah, we'll need to do one in the future. We'll need to get, um, I'll, I'll, I'm, I've invited myself on Gold Blend a couple of times. We've yet to make it happen, but we'll happen further down the road. <laughs> we eh? will, we will. When we're in the same country at some point, we're always in different countries. Yeah. Right, so what's the plan for the future then? Have you, you got anything lined up exciting that you can tell us about so far? Or is there um, stuff that's happening that's under wraps? What's going on? At the moment, I just, well, I just came back home to Ireland for Christmas. So I'm here and just catching up with a lot of people. And while I'm here, I'm doing a little bit of studio work and that. But like, I've had such a mental past few years um, that... Like I was on tour for nearly a year and a half straight with the last tour and things I was doing in between that tour. So I'm going to go back. My next major plan is I'm going to go out to Nam in LA 
which is awesome out there. I love to love to go up to Nam when I can. So that's kind of the focus there because that's a big networking thing, you know, for musicians to to really open up um, some new connections and that, and to look for new tours and see what's happening. And just a lot of studio stuff coming up with different artists that ask me, you know, luckily I, I seem to get called back to studio a lot, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> so I seem to be, uh, I, it looks like I'll be in studio for a little while. And then I really don't know because I'm going to start the new year and see what options come in for me and what offers come in and hopefully some some great things to come in 2015, you know? Absolutely. And there's a couple of things that I'll talk to you about off here that could be happening as well. Right, tell us about Bass Player Live. You were at that a few weeks ago, right? I was, yeah. It's like bass heaven in Hollywood. Two days of bass, bass, and more bass in your face. Incredible. It's a great little um, convention. It's on at SIR Studios in Hollywood. And yeah, it's literally a ton of like music booths with guitars and amps and pedals and you know luthiers from all over the world and workshops going on. And it's, you know, it's just amazing to float around and, you know, bass players are just so nice worldwide. It's just a worldwide thing. So it's great because I got to um, not only meet, but talk to and sort of have little jams with some serious legends. And, you know, Marcus Miller is there floating around and Lee Sklar and Todd Wilkenfell was in and um, Bakita Tumala from Paul Simon's band. That just blew my mind. I was talking to him for ages and he was playing Paul Simon bass lines in front of me. So that stuff is really magic and you know it's just super encouraging because you've got like a generation of bass players that you would have listened to and be completely in awe of and you can be sitting there playing at a booth and they're coming over and telling you you sound great keep going that's so <laughs> cool. that's, that was really spectacular I love that convention uh, you forgot to mention her in case she listens to this and gets very upset her definity was there wasn't she Myself and Divinity were having a great time running around, taking loads of silly press pictures together. And she's an our legend. I love Divinity. Sure, we met her through the podcast originally. And um, yeah, she was there and she was with Warwick, who she's endorsed by. And um, all the Warwick family are super nice. And I met loads of them guys. Um, yeah, myself and Divinity had a lot of fun on the first day. So it's just like a real kind of good vibe. Everybody gets together, you know. And it's a great hang. It's a really great hang. And there's workshops going on all the time. And people just so much low end. Face <laughs> <laughs> heaven. Absolutely. But ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Tanya Callahan joined us this week. It's been a while. We've been trying to get you on for a while. But, you know, we've eventually made it happen. Uh, to be honest, everybody, give you an exclusive. We did record an interview when we were in Los Angeles. It totally sucked. This one's been a lot better. Do you remember doing that? <laughs> Yep. Yep. I, I don't know. For whatever reason, it just didn't click. And we thought, we'll re record this at some point. We'll actually do another one of these. We're going to get Tanya on with her bass. We're going to do a video yeah. one. We'll maybe tie that in with a gold blend. You just don't know what's going to happen further down the line. Tanya, is, is there anything you would like to say to all the Tanya Callahan fans out there? Not at all. Just uh, other than the usual selfless plugs, keep an eye out on the website. It's www.tanyaocallahan.com. Same for my Facebook. I have my like page and all that on Instagram, at tsubbase. Um, yeah, just can't wait to see what the future holds myself. <laughs> um, 
would you like to take this opportunity and use this platform to publicly apologise for the Twitter abuse that you were giving me last night? Man, you started it. It's not my fault you can't figure out emoticons. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about this some other day. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Talk Music Podcast. Check out scottcowie.com. Check out tanyocallahan.com. Check out scottcowie.com first. Twitter, Facebook, add me the lot. Tanya, thanks again. We'll see you guys very soon. Bye-bye.